Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg, another episode of Find Your Film. This is episode 148. For this installment, you're going to get two sets of interviews, not by me. Conduct- These are conducted by interviewer Eric Holmes, co-host of Find Your Film and Cinematics. He does two movies. He interviews director Brandon Kramer and producer Lance Kramer for this film called, this documentary called The First Step. And then secondly, he interviews Linoleum filmmaker, writer, director, Colin West. So these are the two sets of interviews you're going to get. The first step, currently as we speak, as is, as hopefully you're hearing this on a Friday and Saturday, if you are if you live near Los Angeles, because currently for this weekend it's going to be playing at the Lamley Royal Theater, Los Angeles, and the filmmakers, the Kramers, Brandon and Lance will be available. They will be holding Q and A's after the Feb- February 24th screening and the February 26th screening. And then on February 25th, there's going to be a special at the 740 screening. There will be a attendance by both Brandon and Lance. Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass will be there. Virgie Walker of People Coordinated Services of Southern California. Pete White of the Los Angeles Community Action Network. And Tylo James. So that post-screening discussion on Saturday at the Royal, I always think of calling it the Royale because of Pulp Fiction. But it's going to be at the Royal 740 this Saturday February 25th. The First Step has an official website. I will put the link. Obviously, most of you are not in LA. And shout out to everyone outside of the US who have been supporting me and the guys here over at Find Your Film. Just really interesting cities that a hermit like me one day will travel to. I hope to travel to as many of these cities who listen to this podcast as possible. So anyways, that is the first step. You're, you're gonna, I'm going to actually link the website on the show notes. Secondly, Linoleum. This is a movie that both Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky really love. In fact, Mr. Perky gave Linoleum, written and directed by Colin West, five stars. Eric Holmes gave it four and a half stars. And it stars Jim Gaffigan, who plays the host of a failing children's science show. And he wants to actually, his biggest dream is to become an astronaut. Through a, a weird series of events, there's a rocket ship. He actually has a dream of building a rocket ship. And he's thinking maybe it might be too late for him, but... There is a simple twist of fate, series of events, which leads him to finally follow his dream. The movie also stars Caitlin Nacon as his daughter, and his wife is played by Rhea Seahorn. And again, it's Jim Gaffigan as a lead. During the interview, Wes talks about working with Gaffigan, etc., etc. And also, it's you know what? No, why, why am I saying etc., etc.? He was going to talk about the spoilers. It's an interesting interview because during at the opening, Eric Holmes was saying, hey, eventually I, I want to ask about the ending of Linoleum. Unfortunately, he had only about 10 or 11 minutes. He wasn't able to get the spoilerific questions about Linoleum in time. That said, you can actually listen to Eric's interview with Colin West without being spoiled with any kind of ending discussion. So this is a spoiler-free interview with Colin West. As for Brandon Kramer and Lance Kramer, and Colin West, they all give some really great what's in the box picks for Bruce Perky. If you don't know what what's in the box, what what uh, what what's in the box is about, Bruce Perky every week on Cinematics he picks a movie from the box and he and Eric review that film at the end of the program. So what Eric is, has been doing, and I should be doing this as well, but I usually ask a favorite movie question. But what Eric Holmes has been doing is he's been asking different filmmakers and actors to put a movie that they love in Bruce Perky's What's in the Box segment. So that's why on the cover art here for episode 148, you see a cover shot of Lola, 
a cover shot. I'm looking at what I'm going to look at the cover art right now. A cover shot of the Overnighters and also a movie called Crisis. The Ken, not Crisis, the Kennedy films. Hold on one second. Okay, I'm back. It's called Crisis Behind a Presidential Commitment. All three of these movies are individually selected by these filmmakers. And it's cool. This is the whole idea of Find Your Film is for people to find gems. I want to, I'm looking for movies to recommend and selfishly watch as well. So if you guys have any film recommendations for me and the guys to watch, hit me up at info at findyourfilms.com. But yeah, for this episode, you have the two movies spotlighted as well as Crisis Behind a Presidential Commitment, Lola, the Jacques Demy film, which I haven't seen yet. Jacques Demy, he, I'm trying to look it up. Well, Jacques Demy, he directed this movie I really love called The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. And that was ultimately an inspiration for La La Land. And I hear Lola's good, but it's really cool that Colin West recommended that film for Bruce Parkey and Eric Holmes, and hopefully for me to see as well down the road. And then finally, that other movie the overnighters yeah it's never heard of two i have never i'm not a documentary guy so i haven't heard of the documentary films including the overnighters i will put a link a just watch link for options that you can see these three films as well so that is enough of me speaking thanks again from all over the world i know i mentioned the lamely royal dates but a lot of our listeners are outside the u.s as well so shout out to everyone who actually supports us three here on Find Your Film. Hopefully you're you're going to have a great week watching movies and hit us up and tell us some movies that you feel are being either ignored, underrated, underseen, all that stuff because we're on the search for, for interesting movies. All right, guys, hopefully you'll find some value in the two movies that Eric does interviews for as well as these three movie recommendations. Take care and talk to you guys soon. Bye. And I'm here with uh, Brandon and Lance Kramer. Uh, writer and producer of the first step. I really like this documentary, and I kind—I of, don't know if you see it this way. I see the first step as a double entendre. Uh, one of them being obviously the first step act, first step act. Um, but the sec- the double entendre portion of it, I see is um, I don't think uh, it's about the first step. I think it's about the first step is uh, putting people before politics. And as much as it's a cliche to say that, people don't do that. And I think this uh, documentary illustrates that beautifully. Yeah, I think well said, Eric. Um, that that was the goal of making the film was to really humanize and understand what is the you know personal emotional journey of human beings fighting for other human beings who are currently locked up unjustly in prisons and. What does it look like to step into really uncomfortable places? What does it look like to build relationships across really painful dividing lines to get those people home from prison? Um, This is a story that, you know, we, Lance and I made this film because we were deeply concerned about the divisions in this country and the lack of progress on any of the issues that we cared about. And Van, Lewis, Jessica, all the advocates featured in this film, uh, Virgie Walker, Pete White, Tylo James, Doug Copenhaver, all these people, they put their politics aside and took enormous personal risks to work across these dividing lines and make themselves very vulnerable and open them this painful and really difficult journey up to us as filmmakers. And we hope that the result of that is something that audiences can 
really like sit, sit back or sit forward and experience what bridge building in this divisive moment actually looks like from a very human, you know, messy personal perspective. What's your thoughts on uh, just political documentaries in general? Because a lot of them I see, anytime I see a political documentary, my eyes roll in the back of my head and go, okay, this one's going to be cooked or whatever. But this one seemed to uh, be pretty fair for the most part. I'm sure there are people disagree because as uh, everyone knows, politics is a sports you know, rooting for your sports team, but I, I felt this one to be quite fair. But what what are your thoughts of uh, political documentaries in general? You know, I can I can share Lance if you have anything you want to add. I I personally am less interested in documentaries. I'm not, they play an important role, but as a, as a viewer, I'm less interested in watching films that go in with a very specific message and point that they're trying to make. And the film is basically an argument for that point. Just personally, I'm more interested in seeing the complexities of of politics play out and the contradictions, the paradoxes, and just being challenged. And so when we set out to make this film, Lance and I had conversations at the very get-go that if we're going to tell a story about bridge building, and this is frankly the ethic that we've put into all of our films, we need to create an empathetic experience that is not just with Van and his team, but is also with advocates on the left who opposed this bill, like uh, Patrice Cullors, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, or Pete White, who are doing incredible work on criminal justice reform, you know, and, and really try to understand what does it mean to have an abolitionist uh, strategy and why is that important? And also conservatives like Jared Kushner and, you know, Rand Paul and Senator Mike Lee and what does it mean to be a conservative and be working on this issue and why are their views you know, important? And so the whole ethic of the film has been to create an experience where a very diverse group of people from different political backgrounds can watch a movie with people that they love and represent how they feel and people that they don't like who don't represent how they feel. And the goal is not to be convinced of any one other political view, but to gain some understanding and empathy and maybe like less being walking out of the theater, feeling like people that oppose their viewpoints or have different viewpoints are not enemies, but understanding that they have a different opinion. And this is why. Anything to add to that, Lance? Yeah. Like Brandon, I mean, like Brandon said, there's... I think like you said too, you know, politics to a certain extent is a sport. And so sports have teams, Super Bowl last night. Yeah. You don't just see one team play itself. Teams play each other. And so I think that it's important to gain a better understanding of actually what that looks like when the parties are trying to work through these differences, which nowadays seem to be really as significant, maybe amongst as significant as it's been in the country's history. But nonetheless, the meeting or the lack thereof of the parties needs to be understood better because without that, we don't have a country. So I feel like there's a role in storytelling to play in narratives about rallying the troops and you know fortifying a message. And I think that that is important for all points of view to have those kinds of narratives but I don't think it's just that. And I think part of the problem in the landscape around films, especially nonfiction films, is that the understanding about what is a political doc kind of stops there, where it's 
that a political film is just this point of view or that point of view, left, right, or whatever the case may be, this, this, this cause, this campaign. And that actually, like Brandon said, messiness of doing the work or trying to navigate uh, conflicts in a productive way through the system doesn't have a lot of space. And I think it's really important to tell those kinds of stories if we're going to have a democracy. Um, also, I saw that uh, uh, you have on IMDb, it's got Chris L. Jenkins listed as story consultant. What was his role in this? And how did that help kind of bring in the documentary together? Sure. Chris is an amazing storyteller. He comes from a journalistic background. He worked at The Post for a long time and a bunch of other publications and has been working in film uh, the last decade more more prolifically chris is a pr- he has an expert understanding of uh criminal justice as just a set of issues he's a black man so his just identity and own personal experience is different than ours he's older than us also so he just has different life experience being someone that's 15 plus years older than us sorry to date him but and uh, and was just an invaluable presence in part also because he stepped into the process in the edit. So he wasn't there while we were in the thick of production and came in with also a fresh set of eyes. So while we were like super deep in everything that was the film, Chris was able to step in with the not just his identity and his talent as a filmmaker, but also the perspective of just being fresh. And he really helped us workshop the hell out of the film. And was there with us from a decently early part of the edit through literally the final cut and has still been out there, you know, helping us to navigate the kind of perilous waters of distribution. And there was several other people like Chris, um, editorial consult, consulting editors like Eddie Martinez and Carol Dysinger, Steve James, Louis Erskine, unfortunately, who passed away. Oh, in the Sorry to hear that. Um. But, you know, these amazing artists, filmmakers that all threw their head and hearts into into the edit in particular. So uh, I I guess uh, just uh, last thing, uh, do you have, well, you've worked with Van Jones before, uh, The Messy Truth, and I'm assuming that's what brought you along here. What was the, uh, I I guess, the spark that's like, we did that, there's more story to tell, let's do this one. And, and why this story in particular? Yeah. So, you know, we knew Van for a few years before The Messy Truth. So we already had a relationship with him All before right. that. In the lead up to the 2016 election, Van was on CNN having these fierce debates with conservative uh, pundits. Those debates were gaining a lot of traction. People were looking at those conversations as really a, uh, a model for how to work through the polarization of the 2016 election. And Van, Lance, and I were talking about how while that opened up a lot of doors and and a lot of empathy and understanding, there was a different kind of conversation that wasn't happening on CNN in the studio, which needed to happen, which was in people, everyday people's lives in their living room. And so we came up with an idea to pull together a team of filmmakers and came up with this idea to film Van going into the homes of Trump supporters in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, in the weeks before the 2016 election, very simply modeling how to have a conversation with people you disagree with. We shot it all in a day. We edited it with a team of volunteers. We released it on Van's Facebook page. The series blew up. It was seen by about 4 million people. 
it won a few Webby Awards. It uh, it led to the eventual creation of a CNN show called The Messy Truth as well. And that journey of just making this little web series that reached you know millions of people's lives when Trump actually won the election and was elected, and Van was setting out to spend the next four years working across the aisle under that administration. He graciously, you know, there was a lot of trust between us and he graciously opened his life and his team's lives up to our cameras and to us to capture that journey. It took a while to get the level of trust to, you know, really make the film. So the first year of filming, we were, you know, really trying to figure out how do we tell a story like this? How do we get into the halls of the Senate, the White House, uh, into these really sensitive backdoor conversations? How do we build that level of trust? And uh, that took a while. But once we did, you know, we were sort of locked into this story and didn't didn't let go for three years and then had 400 hours of footage. And it took us two years to edit it into what is now the first step. That sounds awesome. Um, this seems kind of gauche even ask this, uh, considering the conversation we've had so far, but my co-host has a box and in that box are movies that people like to, uh, put into the box that uh, they think are quite underseen. But I think, uh, with this, I kind of want to go a little specific. Are there any, uh, maybe, uh, political films or documentaries that you would like to put in the box that you think represent maybe, uh, some good ideas or, uh, just, uh, represents, uh, fair filmmaking in the documentary sphere? Yeah. I'll, I'll say something. Um, is this a metaphorical box or is it actually a box? He has an actual box. He writes it down, puts box. it in the box and draws That's it every. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Uh, there's, there's a, I love movies, obviously. So I have a long list, but I'll pick one to put in the box. If I can only put one in, um, it's a film called crisis inside a presidential commitment. Uh, it was made by a filmmaker named Robert drew. And then a team of filmmakers that include, included Richard, Leacock and uh, D.A. Pennybaker, a young D.A. Pennybaker. It's a film that they made during the Kennedy administration, where basically those filmmakers wanted to document what it looked like for Kennedy to essentially handle a crisis. And the crisis that they wound up documenting was when George Wallace blocked enrollment of the first Black students at the University of Alabama. And the film takes the point of view of how Kennedy dealt with it how Robert F. Kennedy dealt with it at the Department of Justice, and then how George Wallace and the governor's mansion managed the situation, and then also how those students and their families navigated the moment. It's an incredible document of history. It's also just an incredible piece of filmmaking because you see all these different points of view in real time going through this incredibly tense and uh, pivotal moment in American history. And it, just the way it's told is, is like sensation, is, is, is phenomenal. But it's also very even-handed. And I mean, it was also just cinematically, I think, a breakthrough at the time because they were just developing handheld cameras and things like that. That sounds great. I'll 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 add to the box the documentary The Overnighters. Um, oh, the the Boondock Saints one? Or am I thinking of something else? You're thinking of something else. Oh, okay. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> uh no, it's all good. It's a it's a feature documentary. I, I don't think we're thinking of the same film. Um it came out, I don't know, maybe close to a decade ago at this point. Um, and it follows a pastor in a church, pastor of a church in North Dakota. Um, it's an extremely complicated story about a protagonist that is trying something very controversial in his community 
And it does an exceptional job of just showing this pastor in a really multidimensional light. You see him at his best and you see him at his absolute worst. And um, that film really helped me, but it never looks down at the pastor. There's plenty of films about public figures that, or, or people in the spotlight that look down at them. This film hits that sweet spot of being really honest and really empathetic, but also really tough on their subject. And that movie helped, it was a guiding light for me and how to capture and tell the story of Van Jones in particular. All right. Well, it sounds great. Brandon, Lance, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, you guys did uh, great on this. And it's a breath of fresh air to see a political documentary that uh, feels uh, fair and balanced. And so congratulations to you guys on that. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate the chance to talk about the film and appreciate all that you do with the show. My dad used to always say, there are two kinds of people in the world, Cameron astronomers and astronauts some look at the stars others swim in them he looked like a younger better looking version of me you don't believe me do you it's a really crazy story Ken. tony did you give the saturday morning slot to another show they want a different host kent armstrong I, I can't believe you crashed your car yesterday. I'm afraid I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like my antithesis. What? Some old-ass Russian rocket fell from outer space and it crashed in our backyard. Welcome to Fairview Heights. You think this is just chance, all of this happening right now? You're a scientist. What else would it be? Can I see it? Sure. Come on. You've got this pile of rocket crap right here. Why don't you just build your own rocket? It's not that simple. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> Remember when we used to talk about doing something fantastic? Whatever happened to that? I'm the only one who's even remotely rational anymore. Oh, you built this thing in like a month? Yeah. I'm about to do a test of the booster. You want to check it out? Three. Two, one. What? Wait. Einstein came up with a theory of relativity when he was 26. You go do what you're destined for. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. Not that simple. Why do you always tell yourself that? What are you doing? Something fantastic. Now, open your eyes. Um, so I'm here with uh, Colin West, uh, uh, director of writer and director of Linoleum, and um. I I, I kind of want to start with Jim Gaffigan, but uh, and, and I hope I'm saying the name right. Caitlin Nakin? Caitlin Nakon, yes. Caitlin Nakon. Uh, we just covered, uh, we just recorded our uh, this week's episode and we covered, uh, she was in a movie coming out this week called Devil's Peak. Oh yeah, and uh, she's, so she's got she's got a one two banger like back to back. So that's kind of she's fun. killing it. She's got three films going on right now. Like it's crazy, and they're all like 
It was funny. I remember sort of like talking to her about all these different projects she was working on. And uh, like as we were shooting Linoleum and she's like, you know, she's like, oh, I wonder when they're all going to come out. And literally, it's all like within the a couple of weeks, she's got these like all these projects. It's great. It's really great. I'm happy for her. She's an incredible actor. Yeah. And I, I want to jump to Jim Gaffigan. Um, he's sure. fantastic in this. Um, so much so that, uh, you know, him is Cameron. Um, and I kept uh, the, the he also plays uh, Kent Armstrong. And Correct. I was like, oh, who's that guy playing Ken Armstrong? He's such an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. That, that, that's him. But yeah, it, like yeah. P- people get so people get so um surprised when comedians turn out to be great actors. And uh, I loved him in this, loved him in Troop Zero, obviously loved the stand up. But uh yeah. he's like next level in this, like to the point where his different characters are actually different characters. And I, I just see him as two different people. Totally, Eric. I'm glad that you're you're latching on to that. I think Jim really is uh he's got um such talent that I'm glad like is being really recognized here. Obviously he's done some other dramatic roles and and stuff like that too. Um, But, uh, but it's great to see sort of like the recognition start to happening, especially around this film. I mean, he's, he, cause he, this, it's, it's interesting. Like he's always, he's always had a, you know, wanted, wanted to do and has been doing sort of dramatic roles here and there. And um, it's funny. I remember talking to him on, on set and, and he was like, Colin, you know, if I could do indie films from Monday to Monday to Thursday and then do stand up Friday to Sunday, I'd be a happy man. Um, so he just loves it. I mean, I think he loves interesting stories and interesting characters. And obviously this one was a was definitely a, a, a another sort of additional challenge in that he did play these two characters um, who were sort of like really um, sort of psychologically, physically very different people. And uh it was it was actually quite interesting to work with him on set on especially on the days that he played both where you know he'd play one person in the morning and then we'd put a wig on him and do all the different clothing and then he'd come back the afternoon and play the other side um he's he would really sort of turn into a different person you know he'd put that suit on for kent and become like this very sort of stoic you know guy that nobody wanted to mess with on set you know and then when he was his sort of main, you know, Cameron, everybody was, you know, he's the the, the gym we all know and love, but um, yeah, he's a really impressive actor with a great collaborator. Now, how, how did you get him for this? Um, did you have to have him read through? Because if Cameron and Kent don't work as two different people, I don't know that the, 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 I, I won't say the movie falls apart, but it, it's not as strong as it could be. How, how did you know sure. going in that he could pull that off? Uh, Look, not, I, not, not, not just him being a comedic actor, but I think, just actors in general might have issues with that. Absolutely. I mean, but, but it's kind of like, to me, I think like talent translates and they're like knowing how talented he is as a, as a comedian, how confident he is. Look like performing for him is nothing new. Like he goes on these tours where he's doing stand up every night for, you know, hours and hours at a time and for, for months, you know, on end. And um, so there is this comfort that he has, you know, especially even just talking to him. He's a really grounded, honest individual. And I think that was um, it was very easy to latch on to that and see like uh, the ways in which we could sort of like lean into that version of him and also sort of do, you know, have a heart to heart and talk about like this other sort of like, yeah, this this darker character that he has to play as Kent. Um, and it didn't, I mean, we didn't do any, you know, we didn't do read throughs and stuff like that. It wasn't, it wasn't, 
it was because to me, like, I, I know the talent is there. Like, I can see the character in him, especially, I think, because I'm also the writer on this project that, you know, the, the project was sort of like really born within, you know, the confines of my brain. And so I can see sort of like, I can see it working, you know, and, and it's just following your gut and in, in such a way that, um, that it really worked. And he, you know, on our first phone call, you know, what came in with all these really amazing ideas about how he wanted to approach both characters and, and taking it really seriously. And in a way that like, I could see that he was, you know, um, genuine about it. He's, he wasn't, you know, obviously we didn't, you know, this is a small film. Like we didn't give him a big paycheck or anything like that. It was, he did it as out of passion and, and he's, I think it's really great that, that, um, that he's being recognized for, for sure. Yeah. I also want to get into some spoilers at the end, uh, but before okay. we do that, that we can cut out and put, you know, after the movie comes out, sure. but um, before we get to that, what, uh, what is linoleum? I know what linoleum floor is, but the, the, the title didn't connect with the, with the movie. Sure. Sure. So linoleum, the title, uh, it, it, we, so linoleum itself is, yes, it's a flooring, it's a type of flooring. And we kind of joke at festivals that like, it's our, it's our documentary about flooring, you know? Um, but, uh, but it's, it's essentially, it comes down to the idea, um, of bringing the fantastic to something simple and um, linoleum flooring being this uh, obviously surface that we ended up using the same sort of like dark red burgundy linoleum flooring throughout the whole movie and every set that we uh, constructed or went to. So we'd let, we'd get there. And the first thing we do is lay down a bunch of this linoleum all over the floor. Now, is it like the main character in the film? No, like, but we do have, you know, we do sort of focus on it. And what we were trying to do was kind of tie this world together subjectively through the point of view of our lead character, who you find out within the first two minutes that he's an unreliable sort of narrator. So, um, you know, how, looking at like the the basement set of the movie which is like sort of the we would always call it the brain of the movie which is where sort of all of these you know pieces of the film um are drawn from is this basement um starting from there and seeing like how can we use all of those props and everything in that room again in a different part of the movie and so that's what we ended up doing was actually kind of drawing out that stuff and the flooring ended up being like this kind of cohesive um uh kind of material that drew it all together and also the fact that like that kind of speckled pattern really looks like the cosmos you know but it's down instead of up i thought was this sort of nice kind of idea um and again like you know this way in which it's it's titled linoleum, I think it also sort of gets you in the mood for like, wait a minute, like it starts, it gets you asking questions like immediately, which I think is kind of the the puzzle of it, which is um, what I really appreciate about that too. Oh, it's not that easy, but <laughs> I, I do, I do love the theme of it's not that easy uh, going yeah. through it. It kind of inspired me on other things like uh, just I, in my own life and uh, projects I want to do is like, you know, maybe it is. You, you just got to go for it. And, and I love the I love the idea behind that. Well, thanks, Eric. Yeah, that that whole idea. And I think I think the quote is it's not that simple. And they keep every character in the movie says that um, at some point in the film or another. And it's really interesting because um, that's a very scientific concept. Um, this idea that the simplest idea is the simplest answer is usually the right one. Um, often in science, that's like a very sort of like um uh, quick go-to. Um, and I think that like bringing that and other sort of scientific concepts, concepts into the movie thematically really, I think helped kind of build out this, 
this world and sort of this emotional core via like this conceit of science. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. In fact, uh, you uh, says here you uh, won a Sloan Science of the Screen Award, and th- this movie is pretty science heavy, which I totally appreciate. Yeah, it is. And we were really honored to get the Sloan Science Cinema Prize um, over at San Francisco F- Film Festival. Um, yeah, th- they were a great supporter with us, you know, and um, I think, you know, liked the way and and I, I appreciate this too, the way in which it uses science sort of emotionally to tell the story. Um, it isn't necessarily about the nuts and bolts of science. Like that isn't what we get into. It's really more about like how these scientific concepts have worked their way into our own kind of like emotional um, construction rather than the physical construction of the outside world. We're also looking in. So that was, um, uh, but yeah, I feel very, very uh, indebted to them too. So, yeah. Well, um they, I, uh, I wanted to do some uh, spoiler question. I don't know if we have time, but uh, <laughs> uh, my, I, I do have to ask this because uh, my uh, co-host Bruce has a box. We have a what's in the box segment. And Ooh, what's people, in the box? We have people put movies in the box, maybe lesser seen movies or maybe uh, movies uh, from your past that mean something to you. And uh, he puts the movie into the uh, box and I would like you to put a movie into the box that he can pull out. He pulls one out every week and then we watch it for the next week. Oh really? Oh yeah. fantastic. Oh man. That's so exciting. Um okay, I have a movie we could you could put into the box. And um let that boot movie be <laughs> this movie is called Lola. Uh it's from the 60s. It's um Jacques Demy's first film. It's a black and white film. It's French. Um and it's nice and short, uh but it is a brilliant film that uh inspired uh even some of the structure of linoleum and um it's kind of this ensemble piece about a town and how people are related within the town and um, it's just a brilliant sort of like look at, uh, the way in which we're all kind of threaded together. Um, so I'd recommend that one. Awesome. Well, th- put it in the box. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's in the box. Uh, th- thank you for taking the time. I don't think we got time for, uh, the, uh, the spoiler questions, but you know what? Maybe this is just a movie that I'm going to have to have r- rattle around in my head and figure it out for myself. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Watch it a second. It's better watch on the second time anyway. So yeah. But th- thank you for your time, Colin. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Eric, so much.